Colossians chapter 1. We find ourselves in verse 9 this week. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 12. Paul writes in verse 9, For this reason, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please Him in all respects, bearing good fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Here we have Paul's prayer for the Colossians. He already told them up in verse 3 that he and Timothy were praying for them continually. He said, praying always for you. And now he gives them the content of his prayers. He lets them know, here are the ways that we have been praying for you. And I would suggest that this is just about the perfect intercessory prayer. It's just perfect. And I hope that over the next week, you've taken my uh, suggestion, my advice, my encouragement, or over the last week, I'm sorry, to be praying for someone, to be interceding. Last week, we issued the challenge of praying for other people. I hope you remembered. I hope you've been lifting somebody up. If you haven't, now you have a new tool in this prayer this week. I've been praying this prayer for people, and specifically for you guys, all week long. It is an incredibly powerful prayer. Paul prays that they would know the will of God, that they would walk worthy of God, that they would be fruitful, that they would be strengthened, that they would have patience, and that they would have joy. And the reason that he praises for them is because he heard of their love in the Spirit. He says, for this reason, in verse 9, referencing verse 8, because Epaphras, you remember, or Epaphras, had uh, reported to Paul their love in the Spirit, that the church in Colossians was abounding with love for all the saints. And not only love, but we learned last week that they had faith and hope. And so they had that great triumvirate working in their church of faith, love, and hope. And though there were some heresies beginning to creep in through the community of the church that Paul's going to address in the epistles, it was generally a good report that Epaphras gave to Paul there in Rome while Paul was in prison. And what the good news did was stirred in Paul to pray for them. You see, we're usually more stirred when we hear that someone is doing poorly, aren't we? You know, someone is having a difficult time, uh, they're sick, they're not well, or circumstances are hard, or the wheels are just falling off the cart. And then, and it's very good, we're stirred to pray for them. And that's right and that's good. But I would challenge you or suggest or encourage you to leave place in your prayer life for those who are doing well. For those who are walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. For those who are serving the Lord faithfully. For those who are abounding in the work of the Lord. Because it is those very people whom the enemy will target with a special eye. It's those that the the enemy is daily considering, how can I trip them up? How can I catch them up? How can I break their faith? How can I cause them to sin and stumble? How can I derail their ministry? How can I get them up on the shelf? How can I break their heart? How can I rip them off? The enemy has a special eye on those who are walking in the will of God. And so, yes, we need to pray for those who are thrashed and not doing well. Yes, amen, we do often. But also for those who are in a place 
where they're doing well, we need to be praying for spiritual blessings. And that's the content of Paul's prayer. Spiritual blessings. He's not concentrating on the material or the physical. There's nothing wrong with praying for material or physical needs. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But the most important thing in life is the spiritual reality, spiritual things, and our spiritual needs. And so Paul says, what I've been praying for are spiritual things for you. And what is clear when we look at Paul's prayer is that he had an intense, even emotional desire for them to be spiritually blessed. Paul the apostle had an intense and emotional desire to see that these Christians, whom, by the way, he had never met, that these Christians would be spiritually blessed. It says in verse 9, Uh, We have not ceased to pray since the day we heard of it. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask. Uh, In the King James, that word ask is desire. We have not ceased to pray for you and to desire. And then he goes on to lay out the spiritual blessings. There is the idea taught to us in the Gospels by Jesus of importunity in prayer. Kind of an old English word. We don't use it that often anymore. Importunity. It means to insist with persistence. Jesus taught this multiple times in the Gospels. That when we pray, we are to pray insistently and persistently. Ask, right? Seek and knock. It's not just ask, it's not just seek, it's not just knock, but there is an increasing degree of intensity. We come and we ask the Lord, and then we seek the Lord, and then we knock on the throne of grace. Lord, please! Praying insistently and persistently with importunity gives us that idea, what Paul is saying there, of desire. He was praying for them and desiring for them. The word in the Greek is etumenoi. Etumenoi, and it means to ask, to request, to request, excuse me, or to beg. And its original meaning was to want or demand something as one's share. To want or to demand something as one's share. Now, lest that sound ignorant, or not ignorant, I'm sorry, arrogant in your ears with regards to someone praying to the Lord, there's a further meaning within that word. It is always used by uh, or for an inferior seeking something from a superior. It was always a, a child uh, to a parent or a servant to a master or a Christian to the Lord. We don't really demand things of the Lord, but we can persistently ask for someone to be blessed with every spiritual blessing that is already theirs in the heavenly places. And so it's the idea of an inferior to a superior, a Christian begging of the Lord on behalf of someone else. Uh, That word is never used to describe Jesus' prayer life. When Jesus prayed to the Father, it was another word, eroteo in the Greek, which means to ask as an equal. So it's never the idea of him asking the Father as a superior. Again, a testimony to the deity of Jesus Christ. And this word in the Greek, ask or desire, for Paul here, is in the middle voice, which simply means this, that it shows that Paul had a strong interest in seeing these prayers answered. Paul had a strong interest. The idea is that he's begging God for their spiritual blessings. He's desiring, demanding, so to speak, on their behalf that every spiritual blessing would be a reality in their life. Now, I love that. That's from the great apostle Paul. 
And, and he's not praying some sort of routine, lackadaisical, non-emotional prayer. I mean, it's, Lord, you've got to bless these guys. Lord, you've got to fill them with the knowledge of your will. You've got to cause them to walk worthy. You've got to strengthen them, Lord. It's very clear in the Greek that there is an emotional connection that Paul was emotionally involved when he prayed. Not just an exterior emotional display that works up some sort of carnal fervor. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about a genuine love for God's people. Why did Paul have such a genuine love for the people of God? Because he had such a grasp on doctrine and theology. That's why. He had such a grasp on doctrine and theology. There is in our postmodern society this horrific satanic idea among young Christians that the only thing that is important is that we love people and we really ought to leave the uh, dogmatism of doctrine and theology behind. And we're not really sure about those things and we shouldn't really dig into them or assert them. Let's just not be too dogmatic about the Bible. Rather, let's just love people. Nothing has has ever been more obviously from the pit of hell than that idea. And yet it's prevalent among young Christians. The Bible teaches very clearly, and we see it very clearly displayed in the life of Paul, that an increase in doctrinal and theological knowledge causes an increase in love for God's people. It's the way that God works through his word, amen? And we see that working out in the, Paul of life, in the life of Paul. He had a genuine love for God's people, one that drew him into their lives emotionally and prompted him to invest in them spiritually. When you have faith, through a study of the words of God, word of God, when you have faith, you, you begin to want to invest in spiritual things because you believe God for his promises. And you say, wow, if that's true, if God does those things, I want to invest, and I want to invest in others' lives. And that's exactly what we see Paul doing. Let me just ask you, are you investing spiritually through prayer? Are you investing in someone spiritually through prayer? I believe that every single Christian ought to have other people that they pray for. And as I've said before, Christianity gets radical when you stop being self-absorbed and start being other-absorbed. Just for a week, try, try not to pray for yourself for a while and pray for others and watch the fruit of that. It's, it's amazing that when we just let ourselves go, so to speak, and trust ourselves to the Lord and begin to pray for others, invest in others, that God sees to it that you are taken care of. It's just a wonderful spiritual principle that God is so faithful to. And so uh, this prayer before us is a perfect outline or guideline to get you interceding for others. But in the content, we also see revealed God's heart for us and what he wants to bless us with. So let's look at it a little further. He prays in the second part of verse 9 that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Filled with the knowledge of God's will. That word filled in the Greek is pleroo. It means to be filled completely or to be completely controlled. He wants them to be pleroo, filled with the knowledge of God. It means to be completely controlled. We see the idea in Ephesians 5.18. Ephesians 5.18 says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Same word in the Greek. The idea is be completely controlled with the Holy Spirit. That's why in Ephesians 5.18, it is contrasted with drunkenness. The whole verse in Ephesians 5.18 is do not be drunk with wine for that is dissipation or that is a waste, but be ye rather filled with the Holy Spirit. Drunkenness is a lack of control. Being filled with the Holy Spirit is in control, his control. 
and the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So he says he wants them to be filled to overflowing. The second idea of that word is to be fully equipped. They used to use it of ships when the ship was stocked and equipped and ready to go on a voyage. They would say the ship is pliroo, it is filled. The ship is ready to go on a voyage. It's got everything that it needs. And so Paul is praying that they would be filled in that way or totally controlled with the knowledge of the will of God. The is a definite article. There's a definite article there in the Greek, the knowledge. So it's not random knowledge. It's purposeful knowledge. It's a specific knowledge. I want you guys to be filled, completely controlled with the specific knowledge of God's will. It gets more intense. That word knowledge in the Greek is not the normal Greek word for knowledge, gnosis, which means to know or knowledge, but it is epinosis, the word epinosis. Epinosis has a different idea. It's more intense than mere knowledge. We don't really have an English equivalent The idea is clear and exact knowledge. You remember uh, the preposition, in this case, uses a prefix, uh, epi, in the Greek. We talked about it in our studies of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, or in the Greek, epi. And so, epi-knowledge is the idea of knowledge upon knowledge. Knowledge upon knowledge, not general knowledge, but clear, exact, intense knowledge involved knowledge. It denotes a thorough participation in the object on the part of the subject. In other words, the object being the will of God, us rolling up our sleeves and digging in, diving into the things of God. So it's not a loose idea. It's very intense. Knowledge upon knowledge. Clear and exact knowledge. Now we ought to ask, how do I acquire such knowledge? Not just knowledge, but epinosis. How do I get epinosis? Three ways. Number one, you must desire to walk with God. If you want epinosis, you must desire to walk with God. Jesus said in John 7, 17, If any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. If you're willing to do the things that God would command you to do, you will have knowledge of the things of God. It says in Hosea 6.3, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. And so, so there is a sense that if you are desiring to walk with God, you're desiring to really pursue Him and to obey Him, that then there comes the impartation of clear and exact knowledge. If your attitude is, well, I'm just kind of checking them out. I'm not sure I want to obey. I'm not sure I want to follow. I'm just kind of in this thing for the ride. Why would God impart to you clear and exact knowledge of his will? It's for the person that says, Lord, I am desiring to obey. I'm desiring to walk with you. So number one, you must desire to walk with God. Number two, you must depend upon the Holy Spirit. Very clear in Scripture that it is through the Holy Spirit that we know the things God has for us. It is by the work of the Spirit that things about God are revealed to us. Says that very clearly in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 12 says, For to us, God has revealed them through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we may know the things freely given to us from God or by God. 
You want to have epinosis. You want to have that deep knowledge of the things of God. You've got a desire to obey. And you've got to seek the Holy Spirit. Jesus said the Holy Spirit is a teacher of all things. And expressly in Scripture, He is the one that reveals the wisdom of God. And then thirdly, you must study the Scriptures. Absolutely essential. There is no epinosis. There is no clear exact knowledge of the things of God apart from the Word of God. There's no hope for it whatsoever. It doesn't happen by osmosis. It doesn't happen by hoping. It doesn't happen by meditation. It happens through the Word of God, the Spirit of God working through the Word of God. Second uh, Timothy 3.16 says that all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. All scripture is inspired by God or God breathed and profitable or useful for teaching. That is what is right. For reproof, what is wrong. For correction, how to get right. And for training in righteousness, how to stay right. That's what scripture does in your life so that you may be adequate and equipped for every good work. So are you desiring the knowledge of God, the deep, clear, exact, experiential, participatory knowledge? You've got to be willing to do His will, seeking after the Spirit and searching the Scriptures, wanting to walk, seeking and searching. As a Christian, a lack of such knowledge in your life is dangerous according to the Word of God. It says in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 2, it is not good for a person to be without knowledge. Speaking of the people of God. A clear declaration of the Lord. It is not good for you to be without knowledge. It says in Hosea 4.6, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge, says the Lord. And then in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 14, we are told that without epinosis, is a word there in Ephesians, without clear and exact knowledge, we are as children tossed here and there by ways and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. It's dangerous, Christian, for you not to be pursuing this sort of knowledge. And yet we see today among many young Christians a rejection of deep doctrine and true theology. They think it a waste of time. They think it, uh, gee whiz, I don't know what they think it. But the Bible says that without it, they're like children, never coming to maturity. And they're tossed here and fro by waves. And they're deceived. And they fall to trickery. And so losing the epinosis of God, they begin to fall into the wisdom of the world, and then the church loses its relevance. The relevance of the church in the world is that it is separate and distinct and different. That is our relevance. There's a horrible idea within Christianity today that to be relevant, we've got to look like the world. We ought to compete with the world. We ought to be more like them. We ought to be more welcoming to them. We ought to have more things in common with them. The Bible never says anything like that. The Bible says that we are in the world, but we should never be of the world. It's kind of like a boat in water. It's good when the boat is in the water, but it's not good when the water is in the boat. It's the same thing with the Christian in the world. It's good for the Christian to be in the world, but it is not good for the world to be in the Christian. But if we're not pursuing the clear and exact knowledge of God, daily pursuing after it, then we begin to fall into the wisdom of this world 
and we lose our saltiness and we lose our light and we lose our relevance and we lose our usefulness in the hands of God and the church is just a stupid gathering on Sundays. Doctrine and theology. Are you pursuing it? Are you praying that others would have it? The scripture says here that he wants them to have epinosis of God's will. To be filled again, to be completely controlled with God's will. Stands to reason logically that if we are going to be completely controlled by God's will, we need to be completely emptied of self-will. If we are to be completely controlled by God's will, we need to be completely emptied of self-will. Now concerning God's will, there's two basic ideas. His general will and his specific will. The general will of God and then the specific will of God for your daily life. The general will is revealed in Scripture. It's no secret at all. It's plain for all to see. It's alliterated in many places. We'll look at a couple of them. We're told in 1 Timothy 2, 4 and in 2 Peter 3, 9 that it is the will of God that none should perish. So it is God's will that men and women be saved. No secret, the general will of God. It is God's will that you be saved, that you be forgiven of your sins. After that, we see in Ephesians 5, 17 and 18 that it is the will of God that we are filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, filled there in that passage is in the present part. It's a present participle. It means be continually being filled. I'm sorry, the word being is the present participle. Be being continually filled with the Spirit of God. Every day, Lord, fill me today. Fill me completely. Pliroo me. Fill me until you control me. Okay, the Lord says, I would love to answer that prayer. You're, you're praying according to my will. But for me to fill you to that point, you've got to empty you of you. You've got to clear out some self-will. You, there, there's a lot of places I'm pouring into your life, but there's some other places where there's some self-will there. Let that go, son. And I'll pour in more of my will. It's God's will that we're saved. It's God's will that we are filled with the Holy Spirit continually. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 4.3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. It is God's will that we be growing in holiness. It says in 1 Peter 2, 13 through 15, that it is God's will that we submit to governing authorities. We are to obey the laws of the land unless they contradict the laws of God. Lord, help me when I drive my car. Sometimes it's God's will for us to suffer. Did you know that? Sometimes it's God's will for Christians to suffer. Because in suffering, we grow in perseverance. And then we grow in proven character. And then hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Romans 1, 5, Romans 5 1 through 5. So sometimes to accomplish a purpose in your life for the glory and expansion of His kingdom, it is God's will for you to suffer as a Christian. It says it in 1 Peter 4, 19. Let all those who suffer according to the will of God entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. What do you do when you're suffering and it's not brought on yourself because of your own sin or your own bad decisions, but it is the will of God for you at that time? Then you entrust your soul to a faithful creator. You trust him with the outcome and you do what is right. So important when you're suffering for righteous causes that you do what is right. So many people, when they begin to suffer, they completely spaz out and they just collapse under the pressure and they do what is wrong. 
Well, I'm suffering, so I'm just going to whatever. I'm going to fall back into this. I'm going to start drinking. I'm going to start doing this. And I can't handle the pressure, so this and that. And trust your soul to God and do what is right. And you'll see God's purpose has worked in your life. Last thing I'll say about that is that giving thanks is the will of God. It says that in 1 Thessalonians 5.17. In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So there are some examples of the general will of God. It's not a secret. It's not hidden. It's there in Scripture for you to see. But where the, um, uh, what's the word? Where the specific will of God then is discovered is when we are walking daily in the general will of God. The specific will of God is discovered when we are walking daily in the general will of God. When we're walking in the reality of salvation when we are being continually filled with the Spirit, when we're growing in personal holiness and in sanctification, when we're doing the right things when we're suffering, when we're giving thanks to God, when we're obeying governing authorities, then you have the leading of the Holy Spirit because you're walking in the Spirit. And it says in Romans 8, chapter 14, that the sons of God are being led by the Spirit of God. And so he wants to lead you in your daily decisions, in your daily life, in the specific will of God. But for that to happen, you've got to be walking in the general will. If you neglect the revealed will and the general will of God, don't expect the leading in the specifics. God is saying, all right, son, listen, I, I want to guide you in these specific things, but you've totally blown me off in what I've already shown you. And don't ask me to show you more when you've blown me off in what I've already shown you. Do what I've already given you to do, and then we'll take care of these details, okay? Otherwise, you're kind of on your own. And it is the Spirit of God that leads us in the will of God. Notice it says at the end of verse 9, wants them to be filled with the will of God in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Spiritual wisdom, meaning it has to do with the Holy Spirit of God. He's the one that leads us into the will of God. Wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. We've already talked about knowledge or epinosis, clear and exact knowledge. Wisdom is the application thereof. Sometimes God wants you to use what you have, what he's given you. Sometimes we're asking God, God, I really need you to tell me if I'm to turn to the right or the left, if I'm to do A, B, or C. And the Lord is saying, okay, well, here's the deal though. I've given you epinosis. You pursued epinosis. I've given you clear and exact knowledge of the things of me. And you ask me for wisdom. And so according to my promise in James chapter one, I've given you wisdom. So now what I want you to do is use the wisdom I've given you to apply the knowledge I've given you to make a good and sound decision. Because I haven't given you a spirit of fear. And confusion is not from me, but I've given you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So use the knowledge and the wisdom I've given you to apply my principles to this daily decision. It's so wonderful. You know, it's like a little kid. Uh, to a certain age, you'll do everything for him. And then there comes, there comes a time where he's a little bigger, and you say, you know what? You do it. You get the milk out of the refrigerator. My son can just do that now. <clears throat> he's almost five. He should have been doing that a long time ago. <laughs> what am I doing? Anyway, uh, he's just getting to the point. I'm spoiling the kid. I know I am. He's just getting to the point where, no, son, you get the milk and you pour your cereal. I could easily do it for him, but go do it, son. You're growing. You can do it. Now, God could do everything for you in an instant, but he wants to grow you as his child. So sometimes he says, I want you to use spiritual wisdom and understanding. Do you understand that? 
Amen. And by the way, the specific will of God will always agree with the general will of God. I have heard Christians say, well, the Lord is leading me to do this, but it's in contradiction with God's word. I can say in all confidence, thus saith the Lord, he is not leading you to do that. The Holy Spirit who leads us in the will of God will never lead us to contradict the revealed word of God. Never, 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 never. That's why it's very important then that you know the word, right? Because you say, well, I feel like the Lord is leading me in this direction. How do you know? I don't know. Well, is it according to the word? I don't know the word well enough. Well, sorry, buddy. You got some homework to do. But when we know the word, okay, I feel like the Lord is leading us in this direction. Yeah, that's totally in agreement and in accordance with his word. I believe it's the Lord. If it's not in accordance with his word, it's never the Lord, no matter what a person would say. Please remember that. The reason that Paul is so earnestly desiring and begging the Lord that they would be overflowing, filled with, controlled with the knowledge of God and have all spiritual wisdom and understanding is very simple. The reason he is praying that for them is given to us in verse 10. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. He wants them to be filled with all this knowledge and wisdom and understanding simply so that they might walk in obedience. It's wonderful. He just wants them. He's desiring for them to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing Him in all respects. Now, let me tell you why that's so important. Number one, it's so important because of the fear of God. There ought to be a healthy fear of God in Christians. Uh, we sometimes water it down or or we give an alternate explanation of it and that, hey, the fear of the Lord is revering the Lord. It's just reverence and like, like that type of fear. And and that's true. That's an aspect of it. But there also is the fear of God like, oh no, I'm blowing it. And he's holy, 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 gnarly, gnarly, gnarly. And I'm totally blowing it and I ought to be afraid because whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And so there ought to be a healthy fear of God in our lives that says, I don't want to do the wrong thing because I don't want to get busted by God. But then there ought to be the response of love. I don't want to do the wrong thing because I love God. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. And what is given to us in the scripture here is that the more spiritual wisdom and knowledge that you have, the more obedient your walk. I wrote that in my Bible, May 29th, 2001. I was studying the book of Colossians just in my personal quiet times and and I read verse 9 and I said, I want that. I want the clear and exact knowledge of God's will and I want all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Lord, give that to me. And he said, read verse 10. (laughs) And so I wrote in my Bible, Brit, as you gain spiritual wisdom and understanding, you had better increase in obedience and humility. You see, that's what doctrinal understanding and insight does in our lives. It causes us to increase in personal holiness and humility and understanding. That's why it's so important that we study these things thoroughly. And that we might please the Lord in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work. Pleasing the Lord in all respects. Sometimes a Christian has the mindset of what can I get away with rather than how much can I please the Lord. And I'll confess to that in my life at times in certain situations 
What can I get away with and still be all right with God? But the attitude ought to be, Lord, how much can I please you? How can I please you in every way? How much can I do to please you? It's such a wrong attitude, and it's an attitude that is not, uh, that just shows that you're not being filled by the Spirit when you say, well, how much can I get away with? It's like if I said to my wife, how rude can I be to you? How mean can I be to you? How disrespectful and horrible can I be to you and still have you love me and make me dinner? That's a horrible attitude. The attitude would be, how much can I bless you? How much can I care for you? How much can I cover you and love you? And how much more should that be the situation with the Lord? And the proof that we have spiritual wisdom is that we have godly behavior. James chapter 3, verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior and his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. True spirituality and sloppy living are mutually exclusive. They don't coexist. They can't happen at the same time. True spirituality... Spiritual wisdom and knowledge and loose living are mutually exclusive. They don't happen at the same time. And so if you're living a sloppy Christian life, you can be pretty sure that you're lacking in spiritual wisdom and understanding. If you're growing in the things of God, you can expect to see an increase in the sanctification process in your life. Verse 10, the end of it, says he wants them to increase in the knowledge of God. Again, the word there is epinosis. So he wants them not just to know the will of God, but to know God himself. He says, after you've bared fruit in every good work, I want you to be increasing in the epinosis, that clear and exact experiential, roll up your sleeves and dig in knowledge of God. The idea for the Christian is that we're to seek the face of God and not just the hand of God. Sometimes we get sidetracked because we're always wanting God's will. God, show me, show me, show me, show me, show me, show me, show me. And what we ought to be saying is, Lord, be with me, be with me, be with me. Let me see you, see you, see you. Lord, I want more of you in my life. He's not a go-to. You know what I mean? He's not just, okay, well, times are hard, or I need answers, or I need resources, or I need provision, or I need this, so now I'm going to go to you. He says that we ought to be increasing in the knowledge of God and God himself, that we ought to be daily seeking his face. And Paul prayed that for these Christians who were really abounding in faith, hope, and love that they would abound all the more in the knowledge, the intimacy of God. As a church, we want to see you guys grow into being lovers of Jesus Christ. That's, that, that's my heart as a pastor here, is that you would be lovers of Jesus, not scholars, lovers of Jesus Christ. But that comes through some scholarly things, so to speak. Epinosis. Look what Paul desires for them next in verse 11 and what the Lord desires for you. That they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for the attaining of steadfastness and patience. That they would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. It is a daily need for the Christian to be strengthened. It's not a a once-in-a-lifetime experience for the Christian. It's not as though we say at one time, Lord, strengthen me, and then we're good to go. Didn't Jesus, when he taught the disciples to pray, say, give us this day our daily bread? 
The idea there is seeking provision from the Lord for today. Didn't in the Old Testament, the manna, when God provided the manna in the dew of the earth to provide for the Israelites, didn't he say, take enough for today and not for tomorrow? In other words, you need to trust me for provision tomorrow. And when they took extras in their greed and in their lack of faith and obedience, it was rotten and putrefied the next day. They had to trust God for daily strength, and so it is in the Christian life. That we're to go to him for daily provision. Lord, give us today strength. Be the strength of my life today. Jesus said, let tomorrow take care of itself. Today has enough worries of its own. Lord, get me through this day. I'm going to trust you for tomorrow. I'm going to wake up tomorrow and say, Lord, strengthen me again. You see, it keeps us in the place of humble dependence upon God, which is exactly where we need to be. Keeps us in the place of humble dependence upon God, and it's God's design that he would daily provide. So if you try to float through a week, he's going to let you flutter try to float through a month or a year, he's going to let you sink. We're to go to him daily. It's because he wants to be with us. He called the disciples in Mark 3.14 to be with him. And this power is not from ourselves, but it is from God. I love what it says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. Turn to Ephesians. Turn back a little bit. You'll find Philippians and then Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3 gives us a parallel thought. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16. Paul now praying for the church in Ephesus. Praise in Ephesians 3, 16, that God would grant them according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with all power through his spirit in the inner man. So we see that the strengthening for the Christian comes through the spirit of God that they would be strengthened in their inner man according to the riches of his glory, according to the riches of his glory, meaning there's no exhausting to it. It's like if you had a never-ending credit card that you didn't have to pay for, and it never ran out. Oh, you'd be strong in shopping. (laughs) So we are to be strong in the Lord, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, Ephesians 6.10, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. His might, his might, how much might does the Lord have? He has a never-ending supply. If you try to rely upon your own strength to stand against temptation, you will fall. If you try to rely on your own strength to walk in obedience to the Lord, you will fall. If you try to serve the Lord in your own strength, you will fail. If you try to do your marriage in your own strength, it will fail. But there's a never-ending supply of strength from God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His might. And so what Paul would say in Philippians 4.13 is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, it's from God... It's supplied by the Spirit, and it's realized in the Word. Psalm 119, verse 28 says, My soul weeps because of grief. Grief, strengthen me according to thy word. I love how in the Bible we always see the Spirit of God and the Word of God working in tandem. You don't want one or the other. You want the Spirit of God and the Word of God working in tandem. That's a biblical portrayal. When it says it, go back to Colossians. 
that he wants them to be strengthened with all power. The word strengthen and power are the same root word in the Greek, meaning ability, power, innate strength, dynamite. It's where we get our word dynamite in the English. It's from that Greek word dunamis. It's the same power that Jesus talked about when he talked about the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Dunamis power. We get our word dynamite from it. Explosive, effective power. He says he wants them to be strengthened with all power, meaning that for every requirement there is power available. For everything that God would ever call you to do or lead you to do or have you to do, he will supply the strength for it. God's commandments are his enablements. If God is ever asking you to do something gnarly, something scary, something beyond you, before he asked you, he gave you the strength. But you just need to walk in it. He'll never ask us to do anything that he doesn't strengthen or supply us for. But you just need to walk in it. Remember the man with the withered hand? We talked about him last week. The man with the withered hand there in Luke chapter 5. And and the Lord said to him, you want to be healed? He said, yeah, I want to be healed. It's been withered my whole life. Stretch forth your hand. Now, before the Lord ever said that, he gave him power. But where power and healing would connect is in faith. You see, he had to, in faith, stretch it forth. Where the power of God is made manifest in our life is in faith. Stretch forth your hand. And between the lines is, I already gave you the power to do so. Just walk in it. And he could have said, Lord, I've never stretched my hand. I can't stretch my hand. I've never done it before. It's too scary. I like it. It's always been like this. I'm not going to do it. Instead, he stretched forth. Bam! Dynamite power. Dunamis power. Immediately, every power he needed was already supplied. And so it is in your life. What is God asking you to do? The power is already there in reserve according to his glorious might. Limitless power, what is he asking you to do? It's already there. You just need to step out and do it in faith. That's where the power becomes real. The reason that we are to be strengthened, and here's where we am, is very specific. The end of verse 11. For the attaining of all steadfastness and patience. That is Paul's prayer. That is Paul's goal in praying that the Colossian church would have strength is so that they might be steadfast and patient. A weightlifter is strengthened to lift heavy weight. A Christian is strengthened to endure heavy things. A Christian is strengthened to endure heavy things, to live godly in tough circumstances. The idea of steadfast is to remain under. It means to hold the course, to stay on target, to stand firm in purpose under the difficult pressures of life. And so for the Christian, it's not supposed to be um, a a passive acceptance of the inevitable. Oh no, I'm just going to endure it. It is to be a power-filled pressing on in the purposes of God in the face of overwhelming odds. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus, it says in Romans 8. And the idea of patience, and this would be relevant for many of us, is that the Christian is enabled to bear with people who try his patience. If there's anything a church ever needed, it's patience with one another. That we would have patience. It permits us to forgive and to love and to be slow to anger. And that requires the strength of God in our lives. To forgive, to love, to be slow to anger. You try to do that in your own strength, brother, you're going to be so disappointed, you're going to hurt so many people. 
but you can do that in the strength and in the power of God. And he ends there by saying that we ought to be joyously giving thanks, verse 12, to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Joyously giving thanks. Joyously. What does that mean? I don't know, but it's definitely not. (sighs) Joyously. It's like, yes, yes, yes. It's like those guys at the Dallas game, you know. Dallas, who's Dallas playing the Raiders tonight? You will see people there, naked, painted half blue and half white. Dallas. ah! You will see people there representing the Raiders, naked, half black, half white. Ah! We scored. People get so excited about throwing around pigskin, it's unbelievable. And yet the Father has qualified us to share in all the inheritance of heaven. And we come to church and go, yeah, it's pretty cool, I guess. (laughs) It's unbelievable. The Father has qualified us to share in all the inheritance of heaven. You're not qualified, person. You are not qualified. The moment you were saved, even then you weren't made qualified, but you were placed in Christ Jesus who was qualified for all blessings and you are in Him, so they are yours. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Lord, thank you for the glorious things in your word. So good. And now we ask that you make connection in our lives, Lord. Jesus, that you would pray these things over us as a church. Thank you that you live and you're seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. Lord, that you would pray for us, that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will and have understanding and insight, that we would walk right and be strengthened, and that we would celebrate our inheritance in heaven. God, thank you for these things. As we worship you now, Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and move in our hearts. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and make application in our lives. That by your loving kindness, you would draw us to repentance. That where we need it, we would be strengthened. That where we lack insight and wisdom and direction, you would provide. Holy Spirit, come and continue to teach our hearts we worship and take communion and pray with one another, teach our hearts. I want to marinate in your presence and let you do a deep thing now. And take some time to worship the Lord. The prayer team is up here to your right and to your left. The prayer team is up here and communion is here. Let's draw near to the Spirit of God and He will draw near to us and supply all of our needs according to His glorious riches.